Familiar to you? I love that. Dave said to me the other day, that's a comeback, and we're going to use it this morning. We've been in a fall series out of Galatians chapter 5. So you have your sermon notes in your bulletin. Take those out. You're going to follow along with us. Hopefully you have your Bible in front of you or a place to write some things down. Or maybe a pen or a pencil around you somewhere so that you can jot some notes. Wouldn't be doing this if we didn't think it was life-changing. And really believe in this context, it can be life-changing. I premise over the last number of months, it's just not my premise. Is this, that the Bible believes that a visible sign of a Jesus-loving, God-following, Spirit-filled believer in Christ is evident by the fruit of the Spirit. That those who are Jesus-loving, God-following, Spirit-filled believers show love. They're patient. They're kind. They're tender. They have self-control. They really do understand how to express that and live it out. They're not grumpy. They're not grouchy. They're not hard to get along with. They're great neighbors. They're great friends. They're great people. They're great churchgoers. I grew up in YFC Youth for Christ, Campus Life, 50, 60 years ago. It's hard to believe that it was that long ago in high school. And we had a classic phrase that it's at least now 50, 60 years old, probably well beyond that. But simply was this. We were confronted with this statement. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? Well, that's been around for 50, 60, 100 years for all I know. But it still stands true. If you were arrested for being a Christian, would they have enough evidence to convict you? That's what Paul is saying. That's what Scripture says. That's what Jesus says. The evidence of being a follower of Christ is a display of the fruit of the Spirit. Not just what you say or what you say you believe or that you attend a church or give money or teach a class or hold an office, but how you live your life and the impact that it has on other people. Now, in your sermon notes, I have said before, this is fruit, singular, not plural. But to better understand it, we're going to do it a little bit. We're going to take something from the fruit stand and put it in the basket. And some of you said this morning, you didn't rip that off somewhere, did you? <laughs> no, we didn't. That I know of. <laughs> but somehow they appeared in the youth center and they let me borrow one. So I'm not even going to ask where they came from. But we're going to pull them apart. And over the next number of weeks now, this fruit stand is going to be under new management for the next couple of weeks. But we're going to pull these apart for the next number of weeks and examine them one at a time. Now this morning is love. What the world needs now, oh my goodness, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. I mean, my lands. When I realized a couple of weeks ago that we were going to be in this series, I knew that love was the foundation for the whole flow of the other rest of the fruit. And I, and I get that. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But over the last number of weeks, when you look at the rhetoric that's gone on and the hate and the, ang the anxiety and the animosity and some of the things that are going on, and I thought, my lands. When I said last Sunday morning, what the world needs now is love, sweet love. It's an understatement. It is overwhelming. The anger that seems to be going around all over the world. Even in our own context here in the United States. Every time you turn on the news, you're disappointed. with what you hear from so many different people on both sides of the aisle. From every life, every lesson of life. This morning I'm going to talk about love. I really do believe that it sets a stage for the rest of them. Everything flows out of that love. The Bible says of the big three, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is what? 
love. Jesus said up and summed up the entire Old Testament law, which obviously they're familiar with Ten Commandments, which, by the way, is the next series this fall. They're familiar with that. They added another five, six, seven hundred laws to that. He wrapped it all up with this statement. Love God with everything you have. Love God with every fiber of your being. What's the greatest commandment? Love God with all you have and love each other. Love your neighbor as yourself. The Apostle John, walking with Jesus for three years, wrote the Gospel of John, wrote Revelation, had an opportunity to look down through time. He wrote John 1, 2, and 3. He spent the entire, all of 1 John, basically saying this. Look, if you don't love people, please don't claim you love God. If you can't love people, it doesn't even define who those people are or whether they love you back or whether they deserve love. He says, if you cannot love people, please don't claim you love God because God is love. And out of that relationship that you and I have with God, love will flow. Song of Solomon, credible love poem. All the way through the love intimacy that goes with that. The entire Bible is a love story. God's incredible love for lost humanity and everything that he can possibly do, ultimately sending his only son to die on a cross so that he can have that relationship with us again. No greater love has anyone than this, than he laid down his life. So love is not just something we talk about or sing about. Love is an incredible opportunity for us to understand God's exceptional, unbelievable, unconditional, overwhelming love for us and how to then pass that along to the people around us. Hundreds of songs have been written about love. My goodness, I don't think there's a theme more often popular than that. What the world needs now, love makes the world go round. Love is all you need. What's love got to do with it? Everything. Crazy little thing called love. Love will keep us together. Who did that one? Captain and Tennille. And, of course, the old hymn, Love Found a Way. The word is used in different ways, just as many definitions. Some live for it. Some die for it. Love is something you make. Love is something you fall into. Some use it flippantly. Love you. And others use it with every fiber of their being. I love you. Some love their puppy more than their little brother. My wife, my wife loves our grandsons, NASCAR, and me, and not in that order, of course. I said before, I love trap shooting. I love riding my Harley. It's packed, ready to go as soon as the second service is over. And by the way, my watch battery broke this morning up in my office, so I have no idea how long I'm going to go. <laughs> but I do, do know we'll be out here well before 12. I love my girls. I love my grandsons. I love where I live. I love where I live. And we go to bed every single night thanking God for where we live, for the home he's given us. I love my wife. And of course, again, we use the same word with all kinds of different intensities. Love can produce broken hearts and crazy emotions. And then, of course, there's that smooth guy with a great line, if you really love me, prove it. Can I tell you the truth? Because he won't. If he really loves you, he would not ask They use more often that we fall into. It's one of those things that it's more than an act. It's more than words. It's more than emotions or feelings. It has to be since we fall into it and out of it so often. 
We have to have a love that lasts longer than a two-hour movie in a romance novel. You have two people who stand before a pastor and say the words, I will love you forever. I'll stand by you till death do us part. And they say, I do, and then they don't. What's amazing, when you're in a church long enough, you can watch people go from that dating relationship and then watch the transition that takes place. Before marriage, most men can't do enough for the girl they're in love with. The girlfriend calls him from work and said, hey, babe, do you mind running to Pittsburgh on your way home and pick up and says what it is? Absolutely, only 30 miles out of the way, not a problem at all. <laughs> After marriage, the wife calls and says, hey, would you mind running by sheets as you pass it on your way home for a quart of milk? And he said, what, you don't have a car? <laughs> Before marriage, he opens the door. After marriage, you're hoping both legs are in this car as it goes down the driveway. <laughs> I got an uncle who was like that. He just, we just kept praying that my aunt would get both legs or both feet in the door <laughs> as he's going out the driveway. He already honked the horn 27 times. 100 years ago, you got to get 100 years ago, 27 out of 1,000 marriages ended up in divorce. Today, almost half. 27 out of 1,000. So what does God's word say about love? A lot of things. Let me remind you in your notes of two. Love is a matter of choice. Love is a decision. I love the Gary Smalley video. Long time ago. Love is a decision. It is a choice. It's not something you're a victim of. It's something we choose. Scripture says, over all virtues, put on love, which binds them together. Now, God wouldn't ask us to do something that was impossible to do. Love isn't a feeling. It's not an emotion. All of that comes with it, but it's a decision. Secondly, it is a matter of conduct. It is a matter of choice. It's a matter of conduct. It is an action. It is not just what we say. It is how we live it out. Let not your love come with words or your tongue. Let it be with action and truth, 1 John says. We've got to back up what we say with our actions. It's way more than just simply words. So what does God tell us about it? I'm not sure where, to be honest with you, I got these phrases. But these all are really powerful sentiments of what God's word says about how we are to act and behave like love. In your sermon notes. Love is alive when it has patience. It is dying when it's hurried. It is dead when it cannot wait. It is alive when it has patience. It is dying when it's hurried. It is dead when it cannot wait. God's word tells us that love is patient. Be humble and gentle, Ephesians 4 says. Be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We've got to remember that Scripture has given us over and over and over examples of God's incredible love for us. Romans says, even while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. Even when we could have cared less, didn't even know about God, didn't think about God, wasn't going to give our lives to God. Even in all of that, even while we were sinning, God died for us. We have to be willing to overlook each other's shortcomings. Turn the other cheek. Go the second mile. Be patient with one another's development. When I become impatient with other people's development, I need to remember God's incredible patience with me. 
When I become impatient with other people's development, I've got to remember God's incredible patience with me. You and I know this, but we're all works in progress. Now, some are progressing way slower than they should, <laughs> but we are works in progress. Number two, love is alive when it cares. It is dying when it forgets. It is dead when it ignores. It's alive when it cares. It's dying when it forgets. It is dead when it ignores. Love is kind. Ephesians 4 again, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God has forgiven you. Kindness shows itself in practical, everyday acts of love and relationships. It always amazes me how sometimes we can be kinder to a stranger than the ones we're supposed to love the most. It always amazes me when people are kinder to strangers than the ones they are to love the most. You ever notice how sometimes it's easier to love somebody else's kids than your own? <laughs> Or at least be nicer to somebody else's kids than your own. Sometimes it's way easier to express it into words than to show it, which is why Hallmark Cards has such a great business. Because they know sometimes we just don't know how to say it, so we find a card that will say it for us. My girls will spend hours at a card rack looking for that perfect one. I found one years and years ago. If I had an ice cream cone, I'd give you half. If I had six candy, I'd give you three. If I had two apples, one would be yours. If I won the lottery, I'd send you a postcard from Tahiti. <laughs> there would be a note up here saying, Denny just left. I'm so I don't play the lottery, though, by the way. Ephesians 4, forgive as you have been forgiven. That's way easier to quote than do. Way easier to quote, write down, fill in the blanks for than to absolutely live out. 1 Corinthians 13, one of the most favorite, famous definitions of what love really looks like. It's patient, kind, it's tenderhearted. One of the hardest parts of that is this little phrase in here, love doesn't keep score. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't keep score. Love has a short-term memory. Now, the older we get, the shorter our memory gets, and I get that. But love has a short-term memory. It just doesn't keep score. Someone who doesn't do that really has no idea what God's done for them. Somebody who doesn't do that has no idea really, to be honest with you, what God has done for them. The power of forgiving someone in our lives is incredible. Mother Teresa said one time, the biggest disease in the world is not leprosy but the feeling of being unwanted, unloved, and lonely. Number three, love is alive when it's secure. It is dying when it starts doubting. It is dead when it stops trusting. It's alive when it's secure, dying when it starts doubting. It is dead when it stops trusting. Paul said it's not envy, it's not post, it's not proud. Envy, boasting, and pride are all results of insecurity. God's word says love doesn't act like that. One of the keys to a really solid relationship, one of the keys to a really solid friendship is security. And the, the heart of that relationship and the heart of that security is trust. I really do believe in you. 
You feel secure in that relationship. You feel the ability to share your heart, to be honest, to be extremely vulnerable. They know that the other person has their real interests at heart. You don't have a real relationship if security isn't a part of it. Every time I do premarital counseling, every time I do a premarital conference, I say that all the time. You really honestly know beyond the shadow of a doubt in this person that you're about to spend the rest of your life with that you trust them no matter what and they trust you. If you're always wondering where they're at, who they're with, why they didn't come home on time, who they're talking to, what's on their phone, if you're always wondering about that, you've got to recognize there's a lot of insecurity and a lot of mistrust that goes with that. And if you think it's all of a sudden going to get better when you get married, you've got another thing coming. You better know now on this end whether or not you have somebody that you can absolutely trust for the rest of your life in every area of your life. Love trust it believes you may do things together you can have conversations together but you don't have a real love relationship if you cannot trust for love is always alive when it's giving it is dying when it begins to exchange it is dead when it's only taking it's alive when it's giving it's dying when it begins to exchange it is dead when it's only taking If love is anything, it is a giving relationship, and God modeled that more than anyone else. Well, sometimes we wonder, well, what if I give and I don't get anything in return? What if if they don't meet me halfway? (laughs) Certainly God didn't do that with us. If we settle for anything less and start negotiating or exchanging or keeping score, we'll find it a terrible way to live. C.S. Lewis says, if you want to be sure of keeping your heart intact, give it to no one. Lock it up safe in a coffin of your selfishness. Put it in a casket, but I guarantee you, you'll be empty. The only place outside of heaven where you can be safe from all the dangers of love is hell. Love is alive, number five, when it acts its way into feeling. It is dying when it feels but doesn't act or act but doesn't feel. It is dead when it no longer feels and acts. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Actions determine feelings. Feelings don't determine the actions. Jesus didn't just say love one another. He said love one another as what? I have loved you. No better place can you and I go to understand the incredible love of God than the cross. It is not a picture of God loving nice people. It is not a picture of God loving his friends. It is a picture of God loving. When Jesus died, it wasn't in a nice church service where everyone was singing his praise. Most of the people who watched him die were thrilled that he was dying. It was to them he said, Father, forgive them. And Then Jesus says, love one another as I have loved Which means on some occasions, we got to love people who don't love us back. As a matter of fact, who don't like us at all. And our love shouldn't be predicated on whether or not they like us or love us or respond back to that. And I can't respond as they respond if it's in a negative way just because that's the way they responded. As a God-fearing, Jesus-loving, 
Spirit-filled Christian, I, I've got to be different. I, I've got to look different. I've got to respond different. Doesn't come naturally. Doesn't come easily. Every once in a while, you're tripped up. Your trigger's snapped. You've had it. Wait till I get back and I get to do the one on patience. Hey, by the way, I do not go to Panera's and yell at people. Yeah, I just felt bad last Sunday morning. You think, does he really do that? Please, dear God, don't let anybody say he's the pastor of our church. I don't do that at all. I use that as an example. So you're going to make mistakes. You're going to trip up every once in a while. But on a natural only way that you can do that with the Spirit of God loving and flowing out of you is to respond to people the way he would respond, not always the way they respond to us. Living out the fruit of the Spirit takes an enormous amount of grace and submission to the power of the Spirit of God in our lives. Lessons about love? Love people now. Start telling them that you love them. People wait way too long. You've got to understand the business that I'm in and the stories that I've heard over the last 40 years of ministry when people will say, you know, I wish just one time before Dad died he would have said he loved me. It was just one time mom would have said, I love you. Or they'll come to that moment where they'll invite the family in and then say, hey, I just want you to know I love you. Man, why? do not wait that long. If you love someone, tell them. Secondly, which is one of the hardest, love is very vulnerable. Love is extremely vulnerable. It's risky. You can't stiff arm people and keep them at bay and not let them in. I know I've told you this story before, and, and, and I also know I've said to you before that when people get older, they start repeating their stories. So I'll probably do that a lot over the next five years as I head toward 60. But, <clears throat> but I remember leaving, and, and it's very different for you, but because we're, we're in a different capacity. When you leave a church, you, you leave people that you've invested your life in and, and time in and all that. And, and I loved every church. I'm, just, I'm one of those really blessed guys that love every church I've ever been a part of, from Newcastle to Beaverdale, down near Johnstown to Cowdersport and here. But when I moved to Cowdersport, I had a friend who took me out to lunch and said, dude, I've got to be honest with you. Which you always wonder when somebody says, let me be honest with you. So what have you been up till now? <laughs> I've heard me say that. Let me be honest with you. What have you been doing up till now? He said, you're, you're keeping everybody out here. I said, what do you mean? He said, you're not letting anybody in. I said, into what? Into your heart. So I began to analyze that, and, and here we are 35 years later. It was the first year I was there, so 35 years later, he and I are still friends. And I began to analyze that, and I realized how hard it was to say goodbye to that previous church. And I'd done it already to another church that I had a hard time saying goodbye to. And so I just didn't want to do that again. So I thought, well, I'm just not going to love. I never said that. I never let anybody know that, but he just saw it. He said, it's risky. It's vulnerable. You've got to open your heart up. And so for the next 9.3 and a quarter years, that 10 years, I loved that church to death. As I do you. Love is powerful, number three. Which is why Jesus said the greatest commandment of all is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
and love your neighbor as yourself. It is one of the most powerful forces on the planet. And love is unconditional. If it's what it should be, it's unconditional. Normally people need to be loved the most when they deserve it the least. Normally people, not always, but normally people need to be loved the most when they deserve it the least. So when you begin to examine your experience in life and the way you come off to people, the way you act with your family, the way you act with your friends, the way you act at work, the way you are with your relationship with Jesus. And you would begin to measure that in a sense, as difficult as it is, and to begin to analyze, am I really the kind of person that is so filled with God's spirit that love spills out? Is it perfect? No. Does love always spill out? No, other things do. But on a natural, normal basis, does love spill out? Because I'm telling you, it sets the stage for every single one of these. Because when I really fully understand God's love for me, it makes me want to love. When I really fully understand his grace for me, it makes me want to show grace. When I really fully understand and comprehend what it means to be a spirit-filled follower of Christ, it just makes me want to be loving. So, love. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to unpack your word. So much could be written about this very subject, books and volumes and seminars and lectures. and <laughs> The list is endless. But it really does set the stage for what it means to be a follower of Christ. To show genuine love, not for people who love us back. People who are vastly different than us economically, religiously, visually, verbally, and every other way. And the world it we live in now is so on edge and filled with so much tension and animosity. It's almost overwhelming, Father. We feel like we're just wondering when it's all going to explode. But in the middle of all of that, help us to be the kind of people that demonstrate love by our actions, to demonstrate love in our families, with our children, with our spouses, with our friends, with the people around us, with our neighbors, with our neighborhood, with our coworkers, so that the love of Jesus in the middle of all of the animosity and anger that spills out all over the world, may love spill out from us. So bless us as we live it out and flesh it out. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen. Have a great, great day.